This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. John Harbaugh about three weeks ago came out and said what the league wants us to do is just physically impossible. Do you find it impossible? I don't, and and that's the one thing that I, I challenge everybody in our organization is uh, let's not find a reason why we can't do it. It's not going to be normal. Um, nothing that we do right now and in the world is normal because of this uh, this virus. So let's look at it as you know, let's find a way how to do it and not find reasons why we can't do it. Our employees, our coaches, everybody is looking at different methods, and and some of these methods that we do may be long overdue and 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 maybe better for us and better for the team and better for football in the long. That is Jaguars General Manager Dave Caldwell on the Brian Kilmeade Show, 104.5 WOKV. Earlier today, uh, first time we've heard from Caldwell in a bit, and uh, he's on the Kilmeade Show talking a little bit about what's going on with the NFL. And not that he has all the answers and everybody has the answers, or really, quite frankly, nobody seems to have the answers uh, of the whole COVID-19 coronavirus, how it will impact the fall. But it did sound like, from what Dave Caldwell said in that interview, that hey, they're going on with this thing. It's on. Now, will it be delayed by a week or two? Uh, What kind of restrictions? How much time do you have to get the players and association and the league on the same page? We don't know any of those things, and I don't think uh, Dave Caldwell made those clear either today in that interview. But there's a feeling that this is it's going to happen. I mean, they're going to give it a whirl. And I know we've had mixed feelings, Austin Lane, but... Uh, selfishly, I kind of like the idea of it. Just totally selfishly, I like the idea of having a football season. I, I've said this for a long time, ever since the beginning of coronavirus. And again, I, I do admittedly say this from a selfish uh, reason. One, for what I do. Two, for uh, our sanity. Um, and three, just because. Uh, I think the one of the key parts to normalcy in in the second half of this year, of 2020, is football. That sounds crazy. And and people be like, Brent, you're an idiot. Like, people care about football that much. No, really, I think they do. Like, I think people know what happens on Sundays. Like, I think Sunday uh, is a church day, and Sunday is a football day. And I think any sense of normalcy around that, and by the way, you could throw the ability to go back to church in there. Uh, you can throw the ability to go back to school, potentially, in there. If, if we have school and, and to some degree, some capacity, and the kids are in buildings and going to school. Yeah, I think it all kind of coexists to some sense of normalcy. And if it is, it's going to continue. If it doesn't happen, it's going to feel weird still. It's going to feel like we are in a pandemic. Well, because we are in one. Uh, my point only being... Uh, Maybe even from an economic standpoint to some degree, uh, because I think the NFL does help the economic engine uh, of our country in a way. It's not the most important thing, but it does help. Uh, And also just from a normalcy thing, if we have football, uh, Saturdays would be great, but definitely on Sundays. I think there will be a sense of normalcy that we really haven't experienced much of 2020 so far. No, without a doubt. I mean... Football is king. You know, it's the it's the biggest sport in this country, and it's water cooler conversation. Um, there's fantasy football. Obviously, everyone's got their team. And listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I selfishly want to see football as well. I'm I, I've already got in my head that college game day, if it's going to happen this year, is not going to be the same. Like that's like my Saturday morning tradition. Me and my son watch college game day, and I'm going to cry because there's not going to be a big crowd out there, and it's just I'm not going to have you know um, 
big and rich singing the song to lead us in the show. It's just, it's going to feel completely different. And I'm probably going to cry about it because, like, that's my normal. You know, that's what I'm accustomed to. And anything this year has has been anything but normal. So I get what you're saying there, Brent. I also like the fact that Dave Caldwell seems to kind of have the right attitude right now on where his team's going to be for this whole thing, right? Because, yes... We, we, we want to speak into existence. We want to be optimistic. We want to play football. Dave Caldwell wants to play football. But I like his answer when I was like, listen, n- nothing's normal right now. And we can either complain about it. We can either complain and say, well, we can't stay six feet apart in the locker room. We can't abide by these rules. This is ridiculous. No, that's my job to complain about it. That's my job to say that, that those are dumb rules and they're never going to work. It's Dave Caldwell's job and it's you know obviously Doug Marone's job to get his players ready to go under any circumstance. We always talk about it. You either adapt or you fall apart. And I think right now we're seeing a prime example of Dave Caldwell, you know, kind of flexing his muscles a little bit and adapting and saying, guys. It's not going to be normal here. That's okay. Let's just do it to the best of our abilities and get ready to play some football. I like yeah, I, that from Dave Caldwell. Yeah, and I think the Jags, to their credit, listen, man, we've talked about this. The Jags, from a Doug Marone standpoint and others, they could easily be making excuses. And let's be honest, if the Jags go 4-12, and 3-13, and 13, sometime in December and January, I think the excuses might come back uh, in the rear view. Like, well, we, we didn't have spring, and, and we have a young team. Don't do, uh, don't do that, though, Brent. I'm telling you, I don't want to no. hear that stuff. Well, but that's what people do. Uh, yeah, when failure you. happens, that's what people do. So yeah. I'm not saying they will never complain about it. But my point being, at least at this part of it, they have wrapped their arms around it. They have wrapped their arms around the issues with the Black Lives Matter movement and the Jags being front and center, at least here in Jacksonville on that, and also coronavirus and what it presents, the Zoom calls, the virtual meetings, the everything else. And so I like the way they've approached it, to your point. Uh, even and, and more importantly, it's not probably Dave Caldwell in this. More importantly, is Doug Marone in this and his players and how they feed off him and respond. If he's out there kind of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we, we can't do this or we can't do this. Well, the players feel that, you know. It's kind of like what I say about parenting sometimes, you know. You wake up in a bad mood as a, as a mom and dad. Well, your kids feel it, man. You might not have yelled at, you, at them, <laughs> but they feel it, yeah. right? Well, your players do that too, in my opinion, from, from a coaching standpoint. They feel it. They see you. And so I think... Uh, the fact that they've handled it pretty well, I don't know what it means, man. It doesn't get you wins. I'm just saying I like the way they've at least approached it, and we'll see how they handle it uh, come August. They are up against it. They are, one, not a great football roster, two, have a ton of question marks, and three, have a bunch of young guys. And so it is a, it's a difficult situation, if we're being honest, for Doug Marone and the Jacksonville Jaguars going into uh, 2020. Speaking of young guys, man, as we welcome everybody back, Brent Morton, nope. Austin Lane, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. If you want to keep the discussion going with Yannick Ngakwe, feel free. Uh, 904-362-9901, star star 690, or on social media. We talked a lot about it in the first hour of the show, and we may even hit back on it uh, here a little bit later. We're keeping an eye on a new deal for Derrick Henry. looks to be done, but I haven't seen the structure of the deal outside of four years, so we'll pass along any of that information as kind of the national guys uh, uh, shed some light on it, or maybe even the Tennessee Titans uh, will shed some light on it as well. Uh, but want to remind you also about 2020 Carathon. Text the word forever to 41444. Also, childcancerfund.org and ESPN690.com for more information. Also, silent auction items. Be a part of it. It's all week long. Hope you can join in uh, with us hand in hand. We mentioned young guys, and I was thinking of this today. Young guys in 
the big sports. Let's talk NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball. If you know a hockey guy, feel free to enlighten me. But uh, I probably wouldn't be able to pull one out of the hat. I could actually go to golf. Uh, might even talk a little bit about uh, one of the hot young golfers in the game right now. But we've almost seen that story played out so many times over the last 10 years. Who's the next Tiger? Who's the next Tiger? Is it Jordan Spieth? Is it Rory McIlroy? Is it uh, now Brooks Kepka, even though he really isn't that young of a guy? Is it now Colin Morikawa? We'll see. Um, so that's kind of the, the latest name in golf. Everybody gets comped to Tiger Woods. But if you take the other sports, man... Uh, let's begin with the NBA because we can bring Kuz into the conversation, Drive and Dish podcast. Isn't Zion Williamson and, and Ja Morant, uh, are those the two guys in terms of the young guys, the future of the sport uh, that will carry the flag? Kuz, you to go first? This is your segment, man. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel like, and I, I think I texted you guys this, but I feel like with NBA, there's the most because... You guys might have to talk me off of some of the guys that I feel like are stars that uh, I guess wouldn't be to the, like a casual fan. Okay, well, it's here. So, like, to me, I think Giannis still counts as a young one, uh, okay. like you guys were talking about yeah. earlier. I think Luca. I yeah. think Trey Young. Ooh, okay. You know Go what on. I mean? Like, Trey Young, I mean, and again, maybe that's what you guys have to talk me off of. I think yeah. Ben Simmons. I think Joel Embiid. I think Jason Tatum. So that's where I'm at with it. Here's where I, let me jump in, okay? Because you guys, uh, admittedly, even watch more than of the NBA than I do. Yeah. But I'm gonna, and, and Ku's a huge fan of it. Does the Driving Dish podcast? Take a listen to it. Subscribe to it, by the way. Um, when you say Ben Simmons, and I understand he's young. When Embiid, yeah, I would say even Embiid a little bit more. I, when you say those two guys, I know they're Philly guys. I know that's not just why you said it, because I think they do fit the category. I've almost wondered in my own mind, though, Coos, have they? why haven't they done it yet? Why haven't they carried the mantle yet? They've been around now a few years. Mm-hmm. Like uh, They don't seem like, like, I don't feel like they're grabbing it like Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson are in the NFL. Could is it? that because there are too many big stars already, like LeBron and Anthony Davis and Giannis and all these others? Or is it because they just haven't been able to do it, and although we think they might be able to do it, they haven't really lived up to the expectation yet? Yeah, I almost want to go with what you said first. As I just think maybe it is almost like a, a cannibalism, almost like there's too many, so nobody can really be that one person to to take over. Well, and listen, if we're talking about NBA stars here, it's a little different, right? Because you talk about the NBA compared to the NFL. The NBA, it's all cameras on you. So, like, how you present yourself, your attitude, your style of play, that's for millions and millions of eyes to see. With football, it's a little different. It requires more of the quarterback position. The reason why I think Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and even like a Trey Young haven't really necessarily gone to that next level is because let's be honest. Well, Embiid, I mean, he's 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 a good player. He, you know, he's probably a great player. But it's not something that we haven't seen before. Okay, there's there's a lot of big men out there with kind of his skill sets. Now we've seen flashes of brilliance from him, but it's kind of like okay, from Ben Simmons' perspective, Ben Simmons, an okay point guard, maybe a great point guard. But the guy can't shoot a three-pointer, okay? And, like, we, we've seen plenty point guards, whether it's Derrick Rose, whether it's Russell Westbrook, who are great at driving the, to, the, to the hole and then facilitating. So, like, with guys like that, I just think that they haven't necessarily peaked yet, but how much more is it for them to attain? Now, you mentioned a guy who is like Luka Donich or whatever. 
I think I think you hit a spot on the head right there. Like obviously John Morant and Zion, they're the future. I think John Morant for the reason that listen, this guy is tiny, okay? And I think a lot of fans out there can relate. They're not the tallest people out there. He's very unassuming. But when he gets down the lane and throws down a dunk, it's like, dang, that guy's only that tall and he's that athletic. Like people can relate to that. People can't relate to Zion Williamson, but he's kind of like the giant freak show. Like people are just like, did you see what he did? Did you see that block? Did you see that dunk? So to me, he's like the main attraction. He is the freak show of the NBA right now. But with Luka Doncic, I think it's taken him a little while to get acquainted, just because he is that European-born player, a la Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk didn't get going till you know maybe five, six, seven years down the line, and then you saw he was capable of. He won his team an NBA championship. I think Luka, it's kind of the same thing where we're getting used to the European style of play. But the way he plays the game, Kuz, I mean, the guy's a difference maker, right? I mean, with his ball handling, his uh, his vision, his ability to drive to the lane, I think I think those three guys, John Morant, Zion Williamson, Luka, are going to be the, the stars of the future for sure. Interesting, too, because, Kuz, I thought you brought up a name that's interesting to me, and that is Tatum. Like, Tatum has superstar potential. He's in Boston. But even him, I mean, can you you got to take it next level soon to be considered in, in that kind of category. You guys bring up an interesting point with Luke. I, I do think this is a Morant, a John Morant, because he's so highlight-driven style of play. Williamson, the same thing. I mean, the charisma around this guy. Obviously, the expectation around this guy, but also the highlight real plays that we know he's going to make like Luca makes highlight real plays I think but you have to appreciate basketball you have to appreciate that European style did we ever ever fully appreciate Dirk Nowitzki and this might be an unfair question for you Kuz because you absolutely love the NBA and you watch it all the time and you follow it all the time but to appreciate a player the way we should appreciate I don't know if we ever did with Dirk I don't know if people will understand the fact that Dirk is like top 10 in all these statistical categories all time like he, he's one of the greats of all time. I just don't know if we do that. And I don't know if that's kind of on us because he's a European player, uh, because uh, we don't really put our arms around the style of play because it's not like sports center driven all the time. So it, it probably is on us. But my point being, could Luca fall into that Dirk category where he's not fully appreciated by the casual basketball fan? He certainly yeah. is marveled at by the by the uh, passionate basketball. See, player. I'm just gonna say this though, in terms of do fans appreciate Dirk or not? I mean, I think they have to because the guy single-handedly won an NBA championship. In the, in the world of LeBron going to Miami with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, you had Dirk Nowitzki who essentially put the team on his back and said, follow me, let's win this championship, okay? So to me, like, if you don't say Dirk is, is you know, uh, a monumental player, it's like saying Tim Duncan wasn't. Now, yes, they may have, you know, maybe boring personalities, maybe kind of v- – vanilla off the court, but on the court they changed the game. I mean, Dirk Nowitzki was really the first seven-footer I remember watching that could hit those fadeaways, that could hit those three-point shots. So to me, Dirk Nowitzki stands out just because he kind of revolutionized the big man position. We're accustomed to seeing Shaquille O'Neal, and we're accustomed to seeing all these big guys in the paint. Dirk Nowitzki kind of stepped it out a little more and kind of developed that step-back fadeaway. Um, yeah. oh, no, go ahead, Brent. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, if I do my Publix poll, which, by the way, needs to be sponsored, um, <laughs> if, if I do that, I just don't think they're going to mention Dirk's name. That's my Maybe. point. I'm yeah. not saying he's not appreciated. I'm not saying he shouldn't be, all these things. I'm just saying Luca could fall into that yeah. as well. Um, whether, hey, listen, 
it, it, maybe it's the charisma off the court. Though he has some fun personality to him, Luca does. Do maybe even more so than Dirk does. Dirk ever did. Maybe it's because you get swallowed up by other stars, or maybe it's just because of this Sports Center highlight-driven world. And we have two guys that are Morant and Williamson that are going to deliver night out, yeah. in, night in, night out with that stuff. Whereas Luca's gonna. I mean, if you love basketball, like, I love watching baseball, man, and I love watching some of the small things of baseball, but that doesn't attract people. People don't watch the game for that. Same thing with basketball. People want to see the dunks. They want to see the uh, the big-time three-point shots from 40 feet out. They want to see these game winners. There's almost, like, too much of a, a beauty to Luca's game no. that you don't you don't get to marvel at it enough because it's not highlight-driven sometimes. And listen, Brett, I wholeheartedly agree with you, right? Because if you actually sat down and watched him play, you'd be in awe. Now, do all of his plays going to be on ESPN, you know, the top ten? Probably not. But just I'm saying a complete game, you sit back and you watch the Mavericks play, he sticks out to you. I kind of compare it to Kawhi Leonard a little bit, right? Where Kawhi Leonard, in my opinion, will never get the respect that he deserves. Keep True. in mind, last year, Kawhi Leonard beat the Golden State Warriors. Now, and I get it, you know, Kevin Durant was hurt, Clay Thompson was hurt. But let's go back to the Eastern Conference Finals quick. Nobody was giving Toronto a chance. I thought Milwaukee had it in the bag. I was ready for Milwaukee Golden State. Kawhi Leonard single-handedly shut down Giannis Antetokounmpo, which no one has been able to do. And Kawhi Leonard came in and said, I'm up to the challenge. Come on my back and let's go. And he won an NBA championship for it. But we don't really see Kawhi Leonard being celebrated a lot just because, obviously, he's got a pretty bland personality. He's sponsored by New Balance. Do the math. But also, just from the standpoint of his highlights, I mean, yeah, maybe he has a dunk here or a game-winning shot here. You can ask who's about that one against the 76ers. He's going to break his heart again. But all in all, Kawhi Leonard's just kind of under-the-radar dude, and I kind of see Luka kind of the same way. I do wonder, though, if, if Kawhi and, – and that's a good comparison, by the way. I think you're right on so many levels. And maybe the bottom line here is if you don't have this gigantic personality, smile, etc., yeah. good in front of a microphone, then maybe we don't fall in love with you the way we should. We don't, as sports fans, appreciate your game as much as we should. And that's probably real. I think there is something to it. I will say the difference right now – and this is how you elevate over that status. The, the difference maybe in Kawhi's case is he does have that shot against Philly. I will forever remember that shot by Kawhi Leonard. And now he has the L.A. market at, and with the Clippers. You know, if he had hit that shot in L.A., I think we would even put him on a different pedestal. Sure. He hit it with Toronto. You know, and while you could say, wow, that's pretty awesome, man, what he did to bring Toronto, that championship, what he what he did and carried them, uh, yep. essentially, it was unbelievable. Uh, but, again, I go back to do we appreciate it the way we should appreciate it? The answer is not uh, most of the time, I would say. for the Again, the casual fan, you got to figure out who we're talking to here. When we say young stars, man, we want somebody who's going to grab everyone, like even make my wife. Uh, come back to the couch and, and watch NBA, and she hates the NBA. Like, who's going to do that? So she likes college basketball way better. Yeah. Uh, so I think Morant has the chance. I think what helps him, too, is because he's from Murray State, man. Yeah. I think the fact that he is from the small school, much like Steph Curry, being Good from call. Davidson, I think helped that. I helped the, now, listen, he's hating your game, mm -hmm. and he's fun to watch uh, as a three-point shooter. But I think the fact that he feels a little bit like an underdog story, Morant will have that going for him. And then you get the uh, complete opposite. You get this mega personality, this athlete that every time he jumps up, I feel like he's going to hit his head on the top of the backboard <laughs> in Zion Williamson. And he's just a human highlight reel. I think those two guys you got to point to, and then you can pick whichever one. And by the way, it might be Morant 
Williamson might not live up to all that hype. Mm-hmm. It might be Morant. Well, and, Brent, and before, because we got some breaking Derrick Henry news, so let's cover that in a second. But I want to ask you one more question about John Morant and Zion Williamson. I think right now, if we were to poll the audience, we could go on the streets and ask them, I think people would still say Zion Williamson's the future, right? Like, he, he is the, the blue chip. He is the, the future of the NBA. And one could say that the, the bubble's in place and the playoff teams are in place because of Zion Williamson, where they're trying to push him into the playoffs and get the Pelicans in there. But let me ask you this. If Zion Williams, I'm sorry, if John Morant was playing for the New York Knicks right now and not the Memphis Grizzlies, do you think people's opinions would differ? Absolutely. Yeah. Without question. Yeah. He's going to get buried a little bit in yeah. Memphis. Yeah. Uh, w- no doubt. Yeah. Uh, but he also has a chance to do some things. Uh, see, I think that sometimes can help. Uh, I don't know if even New Orleans is not a high-profiled NBA uh, franchise. True. But I think Zion is so big that he's made them high-profile. It, it doesn't matter where he went, right? He obviously be a megastar if he went to L.A. Or, or New York or Chicago. But I don't think it matters because he's got this megawatt personality and, and hype already. I think it might really help Morant. Uh, over not this only past year, but but maybe in the first two or three years of his career, mm. to be in Memphis, not have that spotlight on him the way it would if he was in New York, mm-hmm. and just get adapted to his game, establish his identity in the NBA, his brand in the NBA, and then we'll be like a lot of people be like, hey, where was this guy from? Where's this guy playing? <laughs> sure, you know? sure. Yeah. But but not different than maybe the way. Um, like a guy like Donovan Mitchell in sorts has done, oh, right? Good call, good you, call. You're like, you're like, where's this guy come from? Now Morant is more ballyhoo than even Mitchell was, but I think Mitchell, to me, like as a very casual fan, I'm like, I gotta go back and look at his story. What's this guy all about? Well, because he's not playing in one of those big cities, so I think it could aid the player in the long run. And and hey, we don't believe this for a second. John Morant will be in a big time city at some point. He ain't staying his whole career in Memphis. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. It's a great point, and it begs the question to ask too a little bit, like in terms of the NFL players, right? Like, you know how I feel about it. I think if, regardless of the city that you play in. If you go out there and you perform, people are going to know who you are, and you're going to be a star regardless of what kind of you know landscape you're at. Ask Jalen Ramsey about that, right? I mean, played in a small market Jacksonville team, and he was one of the biggest corners in the league and one of the most popular players, I think, in the league for a while. In the NBA, I feel it's like a, it's a little different. And when we start breaking down baseball a little bit, too, I think it's going to be a little different where – where you play, what market that you're in, I think dictates exactly how much your popularity is going to grow. I think you're right. Uh, interesting about Ramsey. I always, you can make a little bit of the case. We'll see where it goes. He might have been more of a star in Jacksonville than he is in L.A. There's so many damn stars out in L.A. I mean, seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. on his own team with Aaron Donald and, and even McVay and others, and on the Chargers and uh, with LeBron and with so much to see out in L.A., he might have been a bigger star in Jacksonville, believe it or not. We'll see if that it turns out that way. Hey, uh, the franchise deadline has come and gone uh, to get extensions done. No deals for Dak Prescott, A.J. Green, Hunter Henry, uh, Brandon Scherf, Joe Thune, Matt Judon. Yanni- I thought Judon was close to a deal. didn't happen. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe, Leonard Williams, Bud Dupree, Shaq Barrett, Justin Simmons, and Anthony Harris. So uh, a couple of those guys still yet to sign the franchise tag. That includes Yannick Ngakwe. A name I did not say on there is Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry has inked a four-year deal upwards of around $50 million, it looks like. Let's take a break. When we come back, we talk about Derrick Henry. And the Titans got it done. Heck, 24 hours ago on this show, I sat on the back of this pickup truck in Hoover, (laughs) Alabama, and I said, why can't they get it done? Well, here we are. The Titans got it done. A deal with Tannehill and Derrick Henry this offseason. They wanted to keep him. 
and they made it work. We'll talk about the Yuli Bulldozer <laughs> coming up on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Uh, you're going to try to get 25% in the stadium, is that correct? Yeah, that's my understanding. I know that, you know, Mark Lamping, our chief president and shot kind owner, you know, they set those uh, parameters. That's a little bit out of my jurisdiction. But from my understanding, it is 25%, and they refunded all the ticket money back to our um, uh, season ticket holders and everybody. And, and I know kind of come on a first-come, first-year basis of those 25% and kind of redistribute the uh, the seating charts of the stadium uh, to assure social distancing. And, and from my understanding and the brief knowledge I have of it, they seem like they are um, very well prepared and, and have a good plan for it. That is Jaguars General Manager Dave Caldwell uh, on the Brian Kilmeade Show on 104.5 WOKV today, answering some questions about the coronavirus, its impact on the upcoming NFL season, uh, impact on fans as well. And uh, there you have it. Uh, not a lot of new information, but some insight from the GM on what the Jags are looking at. And we told you last week about the 25% capacity. And what's interesting now is – the fact that there are no fans, no fans in Philly for the Eagles and Phillies because their local government has said no large gatherings or no gatherings, yeah. uh, I think, through February of 2021. So if you think of a, a sports market and fans, <laughs> Philly is near the top of the list, if not at the top of the list, right, uh, for um, good and bad. <laughs> Let's just say that. Let's just call but, them extremely passionate fans, Brent. Pretty wild, right? Yeah. Uh, it, that that is an, it, what an illustration, and also an illustration of something that I really didn't take into an account, into account. I guess I kind of thought, hey, the Ravens said we'll have fewer than fourteen thousand. Jag said we'll have twenty five percent. So what does that equal? Well, everybody's going to have thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen thousand, maybe in the stadiums. Oh wait, not so fast, man. This the Eagles are not going to have any. Yeah. The Jags might have seventeen thousand. The Ravens might have fourteen thousand. Who knew, knows what the the California teams do? So. It's pretty wild that we could have uh, already this unusual time and historic time, but it could vary from stadium to stadium, franchise to franchise, city to city. Yeah, it's crazy because we talk about, you know, the NFL being a cutthroat league and you want to take every competitive advantage that you can get. One would think that playing in a stadium with zero people, zero spectators puts you at a big disadvantage. Now, I understand. I mean, it's selfish to say that because every city's got their own rules. And obviously, Philadelphia is, I guess, getting ahead of it and saying, listen, we're not going to risk it. Zero fans, zero spectators. That's fine. But I'm saying from Doug Peterson's perspective, I'm saying from, you know, the, the NFC East's perspective, that puts the Eagles right now at a disadvantage. And I get it. It's only 14,000 people at some stadiums, but that's better than nothing. That's That's some kind of advantage at the end of the day. Well, like we said, if you can get 14, 15,000, if you get 25% capacity, I think the possibility is, say there's an average of 80 bucks a ticket. We did the math. That's an that's about $10 million in season tickets, if if I remember correctly when we were doing some of the calculations. So you bet your bottom dollar it's worth it. $10 million bucks is $10 million, bucks, man. You might still lose $30 million because you can't have the other 75% in just tickets, but you also have concessions and other things. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's more of a loss for... Uh, Philadelphia, maybe even from a home field advantage, although I don't know how loud 15,000 people are going to be. Uh, quite frankly, I don't know how much of an impact that's going to make. Uh, just part of the experience that we'll all witness, hopefully, in the fall, because uh, hopefully we'll at least be able to see it on TV with the NFL, uh, given what's going on. Brent Mortno here in Hoover, Alabama. Uh, got a W today, man. We're still alive. That means we stay another day. 
I like it, man. Congratulations. Uh, how did Ty do? Uh, good. He actually, it was his turn to kind of sit there, kind of like a rotation. So he sat out uh, for the first part of the game, but we run-ruled him. So he, he got in there for an at-bat, got a hit. Nice. So I like that. And um, saved the arm for tomorrow. If we, if uh, the bracket play begins tomorrow. Okay. And so we're 6-1, and one, won 10 nothing today. Uh, we were definitely getting in the bracket. Now it's just a matter if we win our pool. And I'm watching a game right now. They're about to start. This is the team that beat us on Friday morning, six to four. And if they win, they win the pool because they win the head to head. So I'm debating whether to heckle them for the next couple oh, of hours. Oh, get in their face, Brent. Let's go. Start honking. I mean, that they're fourteen. They can. They're fourteen. They can handle it, right? Well, I mean, I mean welcome what's the to the cutoff? real world. Hey, I mean, if you can play Call of Duty and Fortnite and all that stuff and get you know people talking trash to you, Brent Martino can stand in the outfield and honk his horn a little bit and let some kids have it. So absolutely, Brent, do your. Do your part. Obviously, Ty's doing his part right now. You have to do your part as well. So I'm going to look for the pudgy kid and uh, <laughs> going to steal the quote from Wayne State uh, when we were playing in college. Who's your sister, little Debbie? <laughs> okay. See, no, I didn't tell you to do that. And on, oh, on behalf no. of ESPN 690, hey, Brent, it's 2020, man, all right? We can't be calling out people's weights right now. Now, oh. Call out their style of plays and things like that, but don't bring the weight into it. Nobody told you to do that. I said to have your son's back, and you go directly to making fun of kids' weights. Unbelievable. I asked you what the cutoff was, man. Okay, hey, that's definitely it. Or not. <laughs> making fun of someone's weight is the cutoff. Welcome oh, okay. to the cutoff, Brett. <laughs> Sorry. Excuse me, then. I apologize. Do you, do you still have that formal apology? Get that apology ready? Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm going to go ahead and email it to you real quick. All right. <laughs> I swear to God, though, we had that in college, man. Yeah. So these guys heckling this uh, this kid uh, that really wasn't even that heavy set, but uh, yeah. it was unbelievable. Um, so I will, I just want to steal that, but I, I won't say it to the kids, I promise. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, well, hey, we but, made it but, hey, Let's be honest, though. If you do say it to that kid and make fun of his weight, odds are that his parents probably won't do anything to you either because you're probably be in better shape than them. Just saying. <laughs> or at least outrun him. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm not sorry. With the truck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <That's right>. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Hoover, Alabama. Austin Lane, back at the Action Sports Shack Studios with Coos. Hey, Derrick Henry gets a, a deal done. Again, I think it's so crazy that we were just talking about this yesterday. Yeah. It's like, hey, why won't they pay him then, right? We say all these guys, hey, they want to keep him. They want to keep him. Well, find a way. Everybody says there's always a way. Find a way. Uh, and sure, it can bounce back to the Jags and Yon, but right now we got two sides that just are unwilling to find a way. Obviously, something happened in the last couple of days, and the Derrick Henry deal gets done. Four years, I think $50 million. I saw $25 million guaranteed. A nice deal for Derrick. Now, let me say this. $10.7 million this year on the franchise tag, Austin, would have been uh, guaranteed. Sure. So, it's not a huge contract, mm -hmm. but the security plus an extra $15 million guaranteed is a pretty huge thing. Well, and listen, and I know you're not going to like this right now, but round of applause to the Tennessee Titans, okay? I'm giving them a round of applause, Brent. You know why? Because I show respect. Now, am I a Titans fan? No, but I'm going to give props where props are due right now. And in the AFC South, the Thunderdome right now of the NFL, where you have the Houston Texans trading away their guys and Jacksonville Jaguars, have Yannick Ngakwe, the Tennessee Titans have re re remained kind of the constant right now of how to build the team, in my opinion. Brent, if I was going on a job interview, right, and I was getting interviewed to be the next GM of an NFL franchise, and I'm sitting in that meeting and I have, you know, the, the big wigs in front of me, 
lights turned down a little bit, a real pressure cooker. I'm not going to give you a TED Talk, all right? I'm not going to get on a soapbox and give you a sermon. I'm going to say three things of how we're going to win a Super Bowl. I'm going to create the identity. I'm going to establish the identity. And then I'm going to protect the identity. And that's exactly what Tennessee has done today. They know who they are. They're a smash-mouth, physical-type football team. The games are won in the trenches. Now, yes, they did pay Ryan Tannehill all that money. And you know what? People are going to say People are going to hate on that. And maybe I should, too, as well. Is Ryan Tannehill going to be the guy going forward? To me, it doesn't matter. Because if you, when you pay Derrick Henry, you know, that lump sum, and let's be honest, I think in terms of the Tennessee Titans, they're happy with what they got with Derrick Henry in that contract. I think it's kind of a win-win for both sides. But what you got with Derrick Henry now is you're protecting your identity. You know who you are, and if you're a Titans fan, you have to like that going forward. There's a reason right now people are hitting the panic button in Houston. It's because they traded away their identity. With all due respect to J.J. Watt and that defense, Hopkins and Deshaun Watson, that passing game, that was their identity. The Houston Texans traded that away. Right now, Jacksonville still trying to establish an identity, if you will. But I think it's good for the Tennessee Titans. Obviously, it's great for Derrick Henry because we, we talk about the running back position all the time. It's not very coveted in terms of getting a new contract. Well, Derrick Henry kind of broke the mold a little bit, so props to him for doing that. Yeah, uh, congratulations to Derrick Henry. I think he's one of the great stories and, and undertold stories coming out of the Jacksonville area. And I know you lead, and let's say Jacksonville, it's Yuli. I get you. Uh, but uh, if, to me, you're from the Jacksonville area, and I really like Derrick. Uh, good kid, good young man, and uh, has been for a long time. And his accomplishments are really getting up there to be amongst the greats of all time from this area, uh, without question. And we'll see where his career goes. But after last year and what he did to go along with the national rushing record in high school, to go along with Heisman Trophy and his career at Alabama, uh, and now what he's been able to produce and do um, with the Tennessee Titans, uh, it's an unpopular thing to say, but good for Derrick Henry. I'm happy for him, and I think uh, we should be uh, proud of him here in Jacksonville. Now, I hate the Titans, but uh, good for, for Derrick Henry. And I, I, let me ask you this. Um, from a... Uh, I got a couple of thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. One being, all right, Tannehill and, and Henry. You could make the argument, and I, I love what you just said, by the way, about the identity. That was perfectly illustrated, perfectly said, and, and probably maybe they should bring you in to say that to more teams. Um, <laughs> or, or just hire me as a GM. Hit me yeah. up. <laughs> I don't know if you want that job. Just come in as a consultant, deliver that three-minute speech, and get the hell out of there. <laughs> You know what? That's even better. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> See you at 3 o'clock on the radio. A little less pressure. <laughs> uh, but it, there are some. There can be critics of both deals. Uh, sure. Because some people say running back, uh, you get the most out of Derek. Mm. Uh, Tannehill, I, I was critical of that deal. I, mm. I, I think it has Blake Bortles kind of deal written all over it, and we live that, and so maybe I'm a little scarred because of it, and that's the way I would think. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and that happens. Yep. So, but let me ask you this. Which one is more dangerous of a deal for Tennessee? Which has the more of, of being a bust? And now, I don't think the way the cap works now and getting out of these things after two years, nothing's going to set them back to historic proportions. Sure. But you get just get the nature of the question, which is more risky, I guess, for them? The, the deal they did with Tannehill, four years, some, what, like $117 million, Sure. Or the one they just did with Derrick Henry to say, hey, we're going to keep pounding the rock. This is who we are. We're giving it to you, and, and we think the best is ahead. 
That's a good call. You know, I'm, I'm looking up Ryan Tannehill's contract right now because I want to see where Ryan Tannehill fits in with, like, where's he at with the highest paid quarterbacks this up-and-coming NFL season. Right now, he's number nine coming into this year. So he's he's a top ten paid NFL quarterback between Drew Brees and between Aaron Rodgers. That's where Ryan Tannehill is right now uh, in the quarterback market. Obviously, Derrick Henry will be up there as well once he signs his, his new deal. With that being said, which one am I more worried about? It has to go to Ryan Tannehill. Okay, now keep in mind, I don't foresee them asking them to ask Ryan Tannehill to do a lot of things, right? Like I think he's gonna be—I don't want to say game manager because you don't pay a game manager that much money. And you have weapons like AJ, uh, AJ Brown, and things like that. But I think going forward, it's gonna be the Derrick Henry show once again. And I've, I've said yesterday, Brent, a little bit in terms of the running back position. Knock on wood, once you get hurt, once you have that injury, it can fall off quickly. So with that being said, I think, you know, the the role is established for Derrick Henry, but it really falls on Ryan Tannehill. Is he going to be a top 10 quarterback? Because like I always say, sometimes it's not about how much money you make, it's what the money says. And right now the money says that Ryan Tannehill is a top 10 quarterback in the league. So to me, the pressure falls on him. And if, if it goes south, it's going to be because of him and that big contract. Yeah, I, I guess the quarterback's always more risky. Uh, $25 million guaranteed doesn't seem like a whole heck of a lot of money this day and age. And, and so um, Henry, even if he doesn't perform great, like 1,500 yards and, and the t- big touchdowns he had this past year and, and the big impact he had last year, I think will still make somewhat of an impact. He'll be at least a threat. Uh, so Tannehill, it, it's up to Tannehill. Tannehill now has to take this team to the next level. They believe he can. We'll see if he's got his best football ahead coming off a, a year where he played unbelievable football, really, in the second half of the season especially. So I agree with you. I think that was it. But I think both are, are, could be considered somewhat risky deals given the nature of the position for Derek. We had his numbers yesterday, and uh, this could take him all the way until he's a 29-year-old running back. Uh, the big question I had yesterday about Derek, and I think it's worth the curiosity, and I can't think. I don't think we can dismiss. We can't can't just say, yeah, he had a great year, career year, that was it. The, has he hit his ceiling? Or is he just kind of hitting his stride? And could he be even something more special? Five and a half yards a carry, 1,800-yard season, more out of the backfield in terms of catching the football. We'll see. Uh, can he, uh, he has proven this, man, whether he was 8th grade or 10th grade or senior, freshman, junior, wherever at Alabama, and now in the NFL, he can carry the rock and carry the load, and it doesn't seem to bother him. Uh, he's 303 carries last year. He's got a bunch of carries in his career overall. If you go all the way back to the high school days, it just doesn't seem to bother him like it does some running backs where they reach a limit and it's too much. So Derrick Henry can keep carrying the load. Uh, do you ever, as a football player in the NFL, do you get, oh, what's a good word here? For lack of a better word, intimidated. Do I get and, and, in, yeah yeah do teams get intimidated do players get intimidated and I guess the best example of this and you know where I'm going with it I'm going with Derrick Henry and now what the Jags have on this defense because That's the only place Tennessee, to go with him <laughs> well, well Tennessee is already in their head right yeah. Tennessee yeah. is in the Jags head yeah they're in the fans head they're in the team's head they're like why the heck can't we beat this team what are, why do they have our number and Derrick Henry's the face of it right now because he's embarrassed them. But what I'm trying to say a little bit here is, you know, when teams would go into, like, I don't believe in this that much, but then I say, well, when teams would go to Belichick and and Brady and go into Foxborough, 
I feel like there was almost a bit of an intimidation factor uh, by the Patriots, given yeah. all their success. Almost like instead of intimidation, it was like so much respect. Like you wanted to almost tip your hat, shake his hand, watch him warm up, <laughs> and it's like, just go kick his ass. That's your job. Yeah. Go play. Say, yeah. I'm better than you. I'm better than you today. And go beat him. Yet I feel like there was such a reverence around them that they almost were like, it's okay to be beat by Tom Brady and the, and the Patriots. You know, and I just sure. don't know if maybe Henry, and not say it's okay to be beat by him, but I feel like Derrick Henry and the Titans might be kind of in that kind of headspace with the Jags. Does it happen? So you're asking me the question. As a football player in those locker rooms that I've been in, do players get intimidated? And I'm, I'm going to sing it to you like this, Brent, okay? I can break down offenses and tell you what they do good, what they do. You know, I, I can give all these intricacies. But to me, it comes down to one of two things. Your offense either relies on speed or your offense relies on power, okay? When you have an offense that relies on power like the Tennessee Titans, listen, when, when we used to play the Titans, they had a guy by the name of Chris Johnson, okay? Now, he wasn't Derrick Henry, but he was still a great running back. We knew what they were trying to do. We never shied away from those power games because you knew what the team was always going to do. And you knew that, listen, this is the game of football. This is what we signed up for, so let's go battle in the trenches. On the other hand, when you play those speed teams, a la those Kansas City Chiefs type of teams, they use confusion. They use speed. They, they put you in spots where it's like, what's my job right now? I don't know what to do. Those are the games that, at least to me and my teammates, we fear because we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be out of the wrong spot. At least with the power teams, you know what they're bringing on the table. Yeah, it's interesting. I think some, I think Kansas City, you bring up a great point. They might be that next team that people are so respectful of that you like almost turns into intimidation, yeah. uh, in my opinion. It's like, forget about the respect for three hours and go beat them. Absolutely. You know what? I don't care if you're better than me or tougher than me, Austin. For that <laughs> couple of minutes, I'm going to make pretend you're not. <laughs> I love the mindset, man. Get me fired up, Brent. I got an hour of that mindset left. Uh, good ruling for student-athletes in the NCAA I just saw, plus some of the young guns in Major League Baseball and even the NFL who are the stars of tomorrow, next on ESPN 690. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.